the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the 11th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2020. They are a voting in New Hampshire. Uh, at the uh, Democrats' normal pace, we should have results by uh, next Wednesday, I believe. A week from tomorrow, we'll have an idea what the hell is going on in uh, New Hampshire. Primaries are indeed underway there. And um, they're battling, and they're battling hard. We knew that there was going to be uh, a lot of people going after Bernie Sanders because he's favored there. We know that Pete Buttigieg has been surging nationally, so they're going to target him, talking about the other members of the cesspool of candidates. Um, but who knew that they were going to go after Mike Bloomberg the way that they did by somebody in the Democrat field leaking the 2015 stop-and-frisk audio from Mike Bloomberg. Now, Mike Bloomberg is a racist, is trending on Twitter. Joining us now to analyze all... All of that and more as a man. Well, I think there's only one way to introduce this guy to tell tell you who he is. You're a line dog face pony soldier. That would be Kurt Schlichter, who is a uh, retired colonel in the United States Army. He is a Los Angeles trial attorney. He is a senior columnist at townhall.com, and he is a guest host on the Salem Radio Network. Mr. Pony Soldier, how are you, sir? Well, you know, what's weird is I was literally a cavalry commander. <laughs> I, I literally that. commanded a cavalry squadron. As for dog face, uh, look, I, uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm staggeringly handsome, but you know. you're not Brad Pitt, right? I'm not, I'm not Brad Pitt, but you know. But you are in uh, L.A., so you could probably land a role. was that anyway? I mean, what, I, I, I mean, Bob, you're not a lion dog face pony soldier. What the, am I the only one who noticed that this guy's completely senile? No, you're not. Oh, good. Yeah, but, but what what drives me nuts I about I was it? Hallucinating. Kurt? Kurt, what drives me nuts about it, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we got new stupid things to, to, to talk about, but <laughs> what, 
Because this is about as dumb as it gets. But what's crazy is how quick they were to come up with, it was from a John Wayne movie. He was quoting a John Wayne movie. There is no John Wayne movie in which the phrase lying dog-faced pony soldier has ever been uttered. They can point to different movies in which the words dog were, the word dog was used. Another one, pony soldier was used. Maybe even dog-faced and maybe lying, but no movie in which that came out. And, and they, and the media jumped on it as facts that, oh, it was just, he was, I saw Twitter, Twitter's, Twitter's intro this yesterday, Kurt, was referencing a John Wayne movie. Joe Biden calls a supporter or voter lying dog face pony soldier as if it was just accepted fact to excuse him for his complete dementia what what what's next 23 skidoo daddy-o <laughs> I, 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 uh, and then and, and of course your boy mike bloomberg the happy hobbit well oh, uh, just a mess I, I, I want to talk to you about this, and I want to ask you about this. I just had a, a, a police detective on talking about what stop and frisk really means. And at the end of the day, what stop and frisk, which was implemented in New York City by Rudy Giuliani, not by Mike Bloomberg, but by Rudy Giuliani, and it was so effective in reducing crime there, Bloomberg adopted it and continued it when he was mayor. And he supported and defended it, as you heard in that 2015 clip. Now that he's running for president and the black vote is in play, now he's apologizing for ever using stop and frisk. Oh, I made a terrible error in judgment. That was a terrible thing to do. Again, even though uh, lives were saved, even though it cut down violent crime dramatically. What I want to ask you, Kurt Schlichter, is this. Isn't it possible that neither Mike Bloomberg nor Donald Trump, who also advocated for stop and frisk, not just in New York, but nationwide, isn't it possible that neither one of them are racists and that both of them rather are interested in saving minorities' lives? Because guess what? The vast, as Bloomberg said in that clip, the va- uh, 95% of the victims of the violent crime from uh, urban minorities are also urban minorities. And if we proactively police those areas, we're going to save lives. It's not about racism. It's about saving people. Well, I, I don't attribute any kind of a benevolent motive to Mike Bloomberg. I think he's just a, a goose-stepping little fascist who wants to exercise power. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, the, the 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 current idea about stopping crime, which is disarming law-abiding citizens, is obviously going to be a failure. Uh, but, it, you know, Here's the thing about the Democrats. They, they, they are making a trade-off. Life is about choices, as I write in my town hall column tomorrow. Um, and if you choose not to do stop and frisk, you are choosing to allow uh, people to be murdered. And the majority of those people apparently will be uh, minorities. So, you know, I, I, I prefer minorities not be murdered. That's where I come down. Where do the Democrats come down? I, I guess they're for it. That's a great question, that, and I don't know. I, and and what 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 I also do know, as I said at the introduction, clearly this was not leaked by Donald Trump. This is this is the the uh, uh, somebody in the Democrat one of the Democrat camps found that audio and leaked it at a strategic time on the day of the of the primary. My guess is Joe Biden because he's got the yeah. most to lose here. Um, but they realize that Bloomberg is surging as some of the other ones fall off and struggle and stumble. They they're really eating their own now. Well, it could have been, you know, it could have been released by the campaign of Peter Tron 2000. Uh, 
the 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 weird robotic candidate. I wouldn't put that past him. I've never heard that phrasing. For Pete. Uh, he, uh, every one of these guys, every one of these Democrat candidates is a freak in his own way. It just it, you know you got this, this robot Audie Murphy the robot because you know he's the hero of Afghanistan because he showed up for seven months and uh, let's see Joe Biden is senile Amy Klobuchar throws things at people then we got you know sitting Bolshevik uh, Mike Bloomberg the the the, the malignant midget. I mean, they're all terrible in their own ways. And I like that they're tearing each other apart. Oh, and don't forget the crusty communist, the guy who uh, adopted the ideology that killed 100 million people. So that's, you know, what a great lineup. Well, you know, that's that's the, the bottom line here is they really, they have no one. That's why people like James Carville are, are going off the rails and ripping the party because they've got nothing. They've had three and a half years to find somebody to take down the guy that they all believe should be easy to take down, just like it was supposed to be easy for Hillary in 2016. And in three and a half years, the best pool of candidates they could come up with are Joe Biden, who is flat out lost in, in a place nobody can find him. He's got dementia. He's He doesn't know what state he's in one day, what day it is the next day, uh, or, or what movie line he's trying to quote the day after that. You've got the socialist you mentioned. You've got all the problems with radical uh, Pete. This is the best they can come up with. Honestly, that's why the impeachment was so important to them, right? Because they can't beat him. They had to remove him. No, they can't beat him, and they, and they turned last week into probably the best week of his presidency. I mean, every day was another humiliation for the Democrats, another victory for Trump. Um, he is uh, sitting atop a pile of the skulls of his enemies, looking for new worlds to conquer. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, what I what I want to know is is you know how they're going to find their way out of this. I think they're going to go to a brokered convention. They're not going to have anybody that's got the delegate count going into Milwaukee. I think they're going to have probably three viable, if you want to call them that, candidates who have not separated from one another enough, they're going to go into a brokered convention and try to come out with a winner after what's going to be just a bloodbath. And Trump's going to sit back there and laugh at all of it. I, I think you're right, and I think we may see something. I mean, we may, we may see Hillary try and swoop in uh, like the, the the vulture she is. Um, I, I think this is a disaster for them. And, and you know, the smartest Democrats, the, one, the ones who have some sort of connection to normal human beings, not just Twitter, uh, like Carville and even Chris Matthews are saying, wait a minute, you guys are like, have talked yourself into thinking we're going to elect a socialist atheist who honeymooned in Moscow. That, that you know, this guy is a viable candidate. Or, you know, the mayor of the 308th largest city in America. Who, that he did a lousy job with, by the way. Right, he did. He did a lousy job, and he's clearly an android, and or the fake and Indian. Moreover, he's I mean, a radical, Kurt. What bothers me about him oh, is yeah. a radical. He's for abortion right up to the moment of birth. He oh, is, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah, let's go out there and say, yeah, I think uh, I think you should be able to kill an eight and a half month old baby. You know, even pro choice people are going to be going. I don't. That's not what I signed up for. Yeah, right. I don't think that's okay. He no, wants to decriminalize okay all drugs. Tattooed, pierced social justice warriors on college campuses <laughs> demanding we demanding I uh, I buy into that. So yeah. that, that's and, my and position. And then there's the drug but, side too, more <laughs> radical. He he wants to decriminalize all drugs, including heroin. Nobody. Yeah, because the problem, the big problem, especially here in Los Angeles, is there's not enough drug abuse. 
We don't have enough drug addicts wandering around our streets. We need more. I, you know, I managed to make five steps without plopping onto a, a pile of human waste or a needle the other day. That's intolerable. But, but five whole steps. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, I thought that California was doing a great job. I thought they were going great guns out there in California. Did you see, I'm sure you did, the uh, tweet sent out uh, by Gavin Newsom, the wonderful governor. Um, oh, uh, to, <laughs> the guy who wasn't even man enough to keep the woman who's now with Don Jr. I just want to put it that uh, Yeah, well, that's the guy. Um, Gavin well. Newsom sent a tweet, uh, I believe it was last night, to Donald Trump, who was ripping California. And I, and I, I didn't watch the president's uh, rally yesterday, because a lot of them do start to run together. But uh, Gavin Newsom uh, responded to Donald Trump, praising, uh, as Trump ripped California for its policies, praising California. And doggone it, I cannot seem to find it now. I had it up earlier. Uh, but Newsom uh, essentially said, California's doing great. They, he said, we have a $21 million surplus. He said, we've got uh, some of the lowest unemployment in the nation. He's bragging about all of the great things about California, saying Trump wishes he could emulate California. That's the biggest problem here. I, you know, I, I, I had to walk to a federal courthouse the other day, and I passed about 30 bums living on the street. Don't tell me about California being wonderful, Gavin. California is accessible. He won't see it because he won't leave the blue bubble. Look where I live, there are no bums. You think they're going to let cops in my neighborhood, or cops are going to let these scumbags in my neighborhood? No, that's not going to happen. It's for everybody else. So it's fine if you're a feudal overlord. He's right about that. If you're a feudal overlord, California is wonderful. If you're not, well, it's Venezuela. Well, they uh, they love him out there. Apparently, he's uh, you know the funny part is is there's 125,000 homeless living on uh, Southern California streets. There's uh, more than that uh, who are who are living below the poverty line. Despite them claiming that they have this massive surplus, you have the highest taxes in the nation. You have the highest gas prices in the nation. Why do you live there? Kurt Schlichter, I know you like the beach, but why do you live in that mess? Because people are stupid, and I can take them for a lot of money as a lawyer. (laughs) There's not enough honesty in the legal profession. Kurt Schlichter just brought it back. I love that. Kurt, thank you, my friend. I appreciate all your wisdom and analysis. Thanks a lot, Bob. You got it. Kurt Schlichter. Because they're stupid, and I take a lot of money from them. (laughs) You got to love honesty back after this. So I'm going to stick with the question, and I'm going to ask you, 216-901-0945, as it pertains to the stop and frisk issue and the Mike Bloomberg newly uh, leaked or revealed uh, audio from a speech in 2015 in which he defended stop and frisk despite the fact that he correctly points out that the vast majority of people stopped and frisked in New York City during his time as mayor were minorities, were black males. He says it's what we had to do. Paraphrasing him now, he's saying we go, we put cops where the crime is, and the crime is in the black communities, the minority communities, he said. 95% of them, he said, you could just Xerox the description and pass it out to all the cops, because 95% of the time the murderers and the mur- murderers and the murder victims are all going to fit the same uh, M.O., They're going to be males, and they're going to be minorities, black males, shooting one another. 
age 16 to 25, he said. He said it's going on not just that way in New York. It's true in virtually every city in America. So you put the cops where they are, where the crime is, and then you proactively police try to find out who's got weapons, and if they've got them, uh, take them. That's it. That's, that's essentially what he said. Now, he's being called by the left, strangely enough, what they call Donald Trump, a racist for suggesting this. And what I want to know is, here's my question I want you to answer. Is it possible that neither Mike Bloomberg nor Donald Trump are racists at all for supporting this policy? Because President Trump supports it too. President Trump, back in 2016 when he was running, and he was still candidate Trump, stated he would like to see stop and frisk expanded from New York City to nationwide. That's, that's what the president said, or then the candidate said. And Rudy Giuliani said he's right. That is exactly right. It worked in New York when I was there. It worked in New York when Bloomberg was there. It cut down crime, cut down violent crime particularly. And it's true. It does work. Maybe neither one of them are racists. Maybe Donald Trump and Mike Bloomberg... Probably sounds strange to hear me defending Mike Bloomberg, right? And I'm not really. I'm asking the question. Is it possible that neither one of them are racist for those comments and for those beliefs? But in fact, just the opposite. They're trying to save black lives. If Bloomberg is right about 95% being the same, same color shooter as there is victim, by trying to stop all of those shootings, is it could it not be argued that this policy saves lives, saves black lives, and is intended to help the minority community, not harm it. The left likes to claim, and they've done this for a long time, as you know, ever since the phrase alter, alternate facts or alternative facts was brought up um, from Team Trump. You're saying, oh, they, they, alternative facts, that means lies. No, 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 no. Two things can be true at the same time and be stated opposite one another. A glass of water can be half full. An alternate fact is that it is half empty. Stopping and frisking people in the minority urban centers of America may indeed put more minority urban, uh, uh, or excuse me, urban minorities in jail. But here's the alternate fact. It may also save urban minority lives. Two things can be true. And the question is, is which one do you want police to do? To be proactive and save lives or to be reactive and allow those lives to be taken so that you're not proactively taking guns from people and possibly finding other crimes they may have committed and putting them in jail? I want you to answer that question. Steve Loomis tried. Kurt Schlichter tried. I'm trying. Bloomberg tried. Trump tried. Don't know what the real answer is. Maybe you can try. 216-901-0945, Back after the news. Ten thirty-five. By my count, 25 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you in this broadcast. We will endeavor to make it incredibly awesome. So let me throw this before I go to your calls. I think the difference to me between Trump and Bloomberg on the issue of stop and frisk, which has kind of dominated the news cycle this morning, I think the real issue is that Bloomberg, in typical liberal Democrat wishy-washy fashion, playing to the voters, particularly to the minority voters, 
apologized when he decided to run for president for his stop-and-frisk policies, Donald Trump has remained consistent in his support of them. New York Post, this is November 17th, so two months ago, roughly. Three months, I guess, now. Former Mayor Michael Bloomberg offered a stunning apology on Sunday for his administration's reliance on stop-and-frisk policing, uh, policing, rather. Admitting to a Brooklyn church, I was wrong and I'm sorry. The bombshell reversal ends Bloomberg's zealous years-long defense of one of the most contentious parts of his three-term legacy and comes as the billionaire political moderate positions himself for a 2020 Democratic presidential run. I was totally focused on saving lives. But as we know, good intentions aren't good enough, Bloomberg told congregants at East New York's Christian Cultural Center, one of the largest black churches in New York. As crime continued to come down, as we reduced stops, and as it continued to come down during the next administration, to its credit, I now see that we could, we could and should have acted sooner and acted faster to cut the stops, Bloomberg admitted, offering a rare compliment to his successor, successor Mayor de Blasio. I can't change history, he said. Today, I want you to know that I realized back then I was wrong and I am sorry. The mea culpa missed the mark for many, even uniting off opponents as the Police Benevolent Association blasted the apology as too little too late for Bloomberg's misguided policy. And de Blasio accused his predecessor of timing, uh, 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 timing that was transparent and cynical. So that's Bloomberg going to the black community by way of a black church in New York and saying, shouldn't have done it, sorry about all of that. Um, this was indirectly racial profiling rather than proactive policing. Okay? That's what Bloomberg has said in, 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 now that he's a candidate or as he approached his candidacy. Compare and contrast that, contrast that with President Trump, who has remained consistent. He supported this during Bloomberg's uh, um, uh, mayoral administration, and he was just obviously one of the most famous residents of New York, and he has supported it now that he's been in the White House. Going to his uh, campaign, this is September of 2016, as he knows he is going to be fighting for black votes, he still didn't waffle. Donald Trump, this is Politico, September 2016, two months before the vote, two months before his victory. Donald Trump on Wednesday called for the controversial stop and frisk policing, policing practice to be instituted nationwide as a means of combating violent crime in America's inner cities. In a pre-taped interview on Fox News scheduled there Wednesday night, Trump was asked by an audience member what he would do to address violence in the black community and black-on-black crime. Trump responded by proposing that stop and frisk policing, in which an officer is empowered to stop an individual and frisk them for weapons or other illegal contraband, he adopted, be adopted nationwide. I would do stop and frisk, he said. I think you have to. We did it in New York. It worked incredibly well, and you have to be proactive. And, you know, you really help people sort of change their mind automatically. You understand you have to have, in my opinion, I see what's going on here, and I see what's going on in Chicago. I think stop and frisk. In New York City, it was so incredible the way it worked. Now we have a very good mayor, but New York City was incredible the way that worked. So I think that could be one step that you could do. The practice most famously carried out in New York, but also by other police departments, is frequently criticized as an avenue for officers to commit acts of racial profiling. Others touted as responsible for a dramatic drop in New York City's crime rate. Although New York City Police Commissioner, former Commissioner Bill Bratton, said in 2015 that the practice is not a significant factor in the crime rate of this city. So, 
to me, Bloomberg and Trump both supporting stop and frisk in 2015 and 16, in the two clips, or the clip that I played for you and then the political story I just shared with you, uh, would indicate that they are both on the same wavelength here. And that is, it's not about profiling people that we frisk. It's about saving the lives of people of the same race in those communities where the vast, 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 vast majority of homicides are committed in America. They both have the same mindset. They both have the same idea. And the difference is Donald Trump has stuck to it, and Mike Bloomberg now playing for the black vote is apologizing for it and saying he never should have done it. What do you make of it? Let's go to uh, Lorraine. This is Matt on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Um, the whole stop and frisk thing it comes out of Terry v. Ohio, and it having the, the policy or support of President Trump or anybody else really doesn't change anything in that the police officer has to have, at the very least, articulable suspicion, which leads to probable cause leading to arrest. So when the officer encounters somebody, it's not just a matter of being able to throw them up against the wall and say, you look good, I'm going to pat you down. They have to have, at the very least, articulable suspicion or be able to articulate the reason that they're going to go through somebody's, uh, violate somebody's space and pat them down. You know, they, in my experience as a police officer, uh, the bulge I noticed in this person's pocket uh was similar to that or fit the profile of a weapon. They can't just throw them up against the wall arbitrarily and pat them down. You know, so no, you're, you're right. Even, and I, th- I think that was kind of explained by, uh, by uh, Steve Loomis when I had him on as well. Many different things can lead to that quote-unquote reasonable suspicion that I should pat this person down for weapons. And in a lot of that, and again, it's very subjective, a lot of that might not just be an observable bulge that might look like a weapon, as you said, but it might be just experience. I see three uh, youths following a woman that just is walking back from an ATM. I have a reasonable thought that maybe something bad is going to happen here, and rather than respond to her mugging, I want to prevent her mugging, and I might say, hey, guys, can you stop here for a second? got to take a look. Um, and, and that's a question of what is reasonable. Is it reasonable for that officer by way of his experience who has seen bad things happen like that before? Is that enough, or is it not? And I think that uh, the constitutionality of it was protected uh, by uh, 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 you know, a two-year investigation, as Giuliani said, by the Justice Department into New York's policy, and it was only ruled unconstitutional in the way they were applying it as they were going a little bit too far with their quote-unquote reasonable suspicions. Go ahead. I'll give you the last word. Well, you, you also have to have you have to have a little bit more, like you were saying before. Maybe these three juveniles are just going the same direction because there's a, a rec center two blocks later. But if you can say, well, these males are known to me and my experience in this area to uh, have committed violent acts in the past, or uh, you have to have something other than the fact that they're just trailing behind the, this Definitely. elderly woman. Totally agree, definitely. And, and you know, you just gave a great example of it, too. You know, uh, I may know this individual, maybe even not. Let me ask you, did you say you're an officer? I, I've been a cop for 28 years, and I have a couple okay. degrees in the field. Awesome, thank you. So you can maybe uh, answer this, then, like I said, as it comes to the reasonable suspicion or whatever part. Um, and that is known associations. If, if an officer in the scenario we just described 
sees uh, one or two of these individuals, and at least one of them, let's just say, is the brother of 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 somebody who is in jail right now for you know for uh, you know robbery or, or violent crime or assault or whatever. And the suspicion of the officer is, yeah, we've been watching the younger brother of that guy. Uh, he may take after the traits of his older brother. Is that, or maybe friends, maybe he runs with a group that we consider to be a gang or consider to be a dangerous group. Maybe it's not even familial, but it's just um, social. And he runs with a group of other guys who have been popped before for various crimes. Is that enough suspicion for an officer to say, got to check him out? Now, we're not talking about arresting him. We're just saying, hey, want to pat you down to make sure that uh, you're not carrying anything you shouldn't be. Well, even then, it's not enough articulable suspicion to pat him down. Uh, but what I would do is pull up and say, hey, John, how's it going? I haven't seen you around in a little bit. Everything going well. Engage a little bit and maybe see if they start getting uh, jumpy, if they you start getting furtive movements. A lot of times somebody who's guilty will pet the, the pocket that the gun's in or you know where the drugs are, uh, just out of guilty response. And then that kind of builds up to it. Uh, and once you, if you get those types of, of reactions, now you've got articulable suspicion, something you can put into a report that justifies further action. What if the reaction is just rebellious? What if it's, man, F you, I ain't got to talk to you. I haven't done nothing. And, and, and I apologize for the uh, grammar, but I'm just trying to talk like the street. Uh, what if he says, I don't have to talk to you in whatever lingo he chooses. Get away from me, pig. Because we see that a lot yeah. too, the way cops are treated anymore. You know, a lot. Of, I mean, it's really brutal, and they'll call them names and all this and that. What What if he's just completely rebellious? Is that enough of a suspicion, or is that, you know, maybe uh, an indication that he doesn't have anything going on, and he resents the fact that you are suggesting he does? Yeah, there. The judges, many judges in the city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, have said you can't be disorderly to a police officer because it's part and parcel of the job. So he can cuss at you. you that might be just this county, wants. though. Yeah, but, but Matt, Matt, maybe, maybe you know, because we've all seen the videos where they're doing more than being disorderly. They're dumping milk and dumping right, right. water and officers and all this other crap, and, it, and it's being—it's not even being prosecuted. So I, I, I fear that you know a lot of this disrespect toward cops that has been fostered over the last several years is only going to continue. And I don't know if anybody's getting arrested for being quote unquote disorderly by calling a police officer a name or not or refusing to talk to him. No, but like you say, if it goes beyond, uh, you know, just verbiage, if it mm -hmm. starts going, you know, throwing milk at, at them and stuff like that, well, now you have articulable suspicion to interact with them in a more... Well, no, I agree. Uh, that that, that part's obvious, it. Matt, but I'm just, I just want to stick with my original question. What if you roll up uh, next to this guy and you say, hey, man, I haven't seen you around in a while. What's going on? Where are you headed? And he says the belligerent stuff, just the I ain't got to talk to you, get the F out of my face, you know, and, and, and just it. keeps on walking. Is that enough? You know, and again, it's it's subjective, right, to say, you know what, stop. I want to take a look and see what you're carrying. Is that is that no. cool, or would you let him roll? You got to let him roll. You that's one you got to take on the chin. If he's doing dirt, you'll catch him eventually. It all comes back around. But if you don't, if that's the most you've got, you just got to take that one. All right. Hey, Matt, I'm glad you called, man. Really great insight. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your service for 28 years. Thanks, Bob. 
You got it. That's Matt. He's an officer in uh, Lorraine. Well, he's called from Lorraine. I don't know if he's in the Lorraine department. Uh, I, w- I want you to hear what another officer said about proactive policing earlier today. When I to sit to the- there and say something that is very, very good for law-abiding citizens is all of a sudden something that he needs to apologize for is just, yeah. it, you know, he's going to be the guy going around the world apologizing for the United States you know, if he gets in there again. That's uh, Steve Loomis. He's talking about Bloomberg there, but I want to hear this clip from Steve Loomis talking about proactive policing. We go to where the crime is. We don't go to a specific ethnic neighborhood um, and say, hey, go to it, you know. And by the way, Bob, the law-abiding citizens, wherever I go to do these speaking engagements with a community group, sometimes 25 people, sometimes 200, want to know where the cops are. So the law-abiding citizens want them in their neighborhoods proactively policing. And that's the, therein lies the rub, right? There's the conundrum. What, is, what, what does a police department do? What does a mayor or somebody in elected uh, office do? How do you balance that? You got the, the vast majority of the law-abiding residents of a given neighborhood or city saying, I want the police around here because I know there are dangerous people around here committing terrible crimes against us. I want you here, and I want you to be proactive and frisk that guy. I want to make sure I'm not going to get held up when I walk to the grocery store later. Do that. And then the other side saying, hey, you can't frisk me. I'm not doing anything wrong. I haven't done anything. I don't carry a weapon. You don't know that I'm carrying a weapon, even if I am. What makes you? What gives you the right to come in here and do an illegal search and seizure kind of a thing? I'm on my way to my own grocery store, or to the rec center, or to a friend's house, or to whatever. That's a heck of a thing to balance. Loomis is right. Loomis is absolutely right. The law-abiding citizens in communities where high crime happens... They are begging for cops to come and be proactive because they are the victims in waiting. Bloomberg says, let's do it, then apologizes for doing it. Trump says, let's do it, and says, let's continue doing it. All while the black vote is up for grabs. 1049, right back with more calls after this. All right, here's a question for you. 1052, uh, I was just having a conversation uh, off the air with Derek. You think stop and frisk might be helpful in a, in a city like Chicago? Derek just pointed out to me that uh, so far, well, not so far, he said uh, this past weekend in Chicago, there were nine homicides, nine homicides in Chicago. Okay. And I said, what, does that surprise you? Uh, apparently, they hadn't heard about the website that tracks all of Chicago's violent crime to the minute and in visiting that website which i'll share with you in a moment you can find out that just in the year to date it's only february 11th so we're one one month and one week old into this year right so far in 2020 in chicago alone there have been 45 people shot and killed 187 shot and wounded A grand total of 232 people shot in Chicago in just this calendar year. It's February. In Chicago, a person is shot every four minutes, or excuse me, four hours and 14 minutes. That means in the next, uh, you know, 24 hour period, there will be six more people shot. 
Okay? Every four hours and 14 minutes, somebody is shot in Chicago. A person is fatally shot, meaning murdered, every 18 hours and 13 minutes in the city of Chicago. This is through yesterday, through February 10th. Like I said, they track these to the minute. They track them by body parts. January 1st through February 10th, 22 people were murdered with shots to the torso, 16 to the head. Uh, one to the, well, so they break it down to actually a number of people shot and a number of people fatally shot. So it's 49 shots to the torso, 22 were fatal. 93 shots to the lower body, one was fatal. Uh, 11 shots, 16, I sh- should say, shot to the head, 11 fatal, and so on and so forth. They track it to locations, where are the most dangerous hoods, you know, neighborhoods, uh, based on the number of sh- uh, shots fired. It's a, it's a staggering, very, very detailed uh, tracking of all the violence in Chicago, right? What if the mayor of Chicago were to come forth and say, we're going to start stopping and frisking? Because the vast majority, as you can imagine, also track. They track the racial and age and ethnic demographics of shooters and uh, victims. The vast majority of them are African-American shooters and African-American victims. So what if the mayor of Chicago says, we're going to come out, we're going to now uh, stop and frisk anybody that we think is suspicious because the shootings are just off the hook. And it's been this way, by the way, for years. They'll never do it. But what would they do? Uh, Everybody would scream racism. Everybody would scream, uh, you can't do this because you're just trying to lock up uh, black uh, young black males. Well, what if locking up young black males saved other young black males? What if they saved y- uh, uh, black females, children, elderly? Because that's who's being shot all throughout the city of Chicago. TJ in Cleveland. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, I don't think profiling is necessarily racist. You know, it's generally believed animals are not racist, but they profile all the time. Uh, my last dog, Sarge, an Anatolian Shepherd, if he come across anybody with a hoodie, black or white, he went absolutely insane. It was like, I will kill you, I will eat you. Uh, the only thing I could figure out was one time we weren't home, somebody might have been casing our house for a possible burglary, looking through the window with a hoodie, and from that point on, anybody he's seen with a hoodie was a potential threat. And, you know, anybody with a dog knows their dog profiles mailmen all the time. They're not being racist. They look at that person as a threat invading their property, and they profile them. Right, because they come into their property. That's an interesting thing. Uh, And I would even go for it. Thanks for the call, TJ. I would even go into the wild and say, you know, animals that hunt in packs, uh, what do they, when they see a, uh, a herd of, of victim, or of victims, how do I want to say that? Prey. A herd of prey. Uh, they profile, they look for the weakest, smallest animals, and they take them down and they eat them. They profile them. And I know it's a goofy way of saying it. It's a goofy analogy or metaphor. But it is true that, that yes, even animals uh, do, and it's not based on race or other things. It's based on other uh, traits that make them uh, more likely to be, um, you know, their targets. Put it that way. Uh, thank you, TJ. Tony in South Euclid. Hi, Tony. Go ahead. Yes, Tony from South Euclid. Uh, listen, I'm a former field training officer for the Tiger County Sheriff's Department, and that was back in the 80s, okay, early 80s. The, in the jail, there were 1,200, uh, a population of 1,200 at the max, and 90%, 85% to 90% were black, okay? You can't talk about this stuff without being positioned as a, as a racist, but these are the true facts. And the only way that you're going to stop this, any type of this, these crimes, is understanding the east side 
is a majority of black people. There's some very good black people, but I'm going to tell you, it's the politicians. They won't allow anything to move forward because they're worried about their power status. And what we have to do is if we've got to do a survey or if we've got to take a vote, I guarantee the people that are residing in the city of Cleveland, black or white, will vote for a stop at the press. It's a really interesting question. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the phone call. What would the population want? Uh, would they vote for stop and frisk if it meant saving lives, even if it meant uh, other people being caught up uh, and, and you know having their lives interrupted when they're not doing anything wrong? It's a really good question. Diane in West Park, I've only got 30 seconds, Diane, but they're yours. Go right ahead. Okay, Bob, I just wanted to say that I think it starts from the top and whoever is in charge, the mayor, the president, whoever it may be, starts with respect from them to the law enforcement officers and the uh, department that the people know, whether they're the people who are the law-abiding people or the non-law-abiding people, they know that whoever is in charge and sending the police out where they should be going. That's, yeah, that, that's, the, that, I, I got to run here, Diane. That's a great point that you make, and it does start at the top, and strong leadership is important for the right decisions to be made. That's all the time I've got to say right now. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, stay here because Mike Gallagher is next. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.